Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 Bonnie in the house. This is our longest-running SAP Game Changers series, and I'm so happy to be here. We are in Season 10. Hard to believe we have one of the longtime sponsors with us today, Birgit Starman's at SAP. She's part of the panel. So let me tell you what our topic is today. I have two buzz quotes. Number one, this is from CFODive.com. Listen up. AI will optimize or transform nearly every activity in finance. Okay, you finance professionals, you, that is talking to you. Here's buzz number two. This is from fortune.com. You all know how to spell that. Tech is everything. 2021 CFOs need to be more tech savvy than ever. Indeed, with so much big data, AI and robotics technology available for CFOs to utilize, learning and incorporating tech into the traditional finance role is key. So we've laid it out. Now, I think we can end the show. We've told you what you need to know. No, we have a lot more to talk about. As we begin to come out of the pandemic, and that's a very optimistic statement, people will give you variations on we're in the new normal. I call it the new reality because it changes every five minutes. The ways of doing business have changed, and it was inevitable because the world changed. CFOs at mid-market companies in particular are now more invested in going beyond the status quo. And we might define Birgit's status quo as what was in March 2020, before the pandemic gripped the world, right? That was a status quo, whatever it was. Right. By em embracing automation and AI, that's artificial intelligence, they are optimizing their own processes. Why? Because they want to add valued advice at the executive table. Yes, a seat at the table. That's the CFO and a lot more. They want to be armed with real-time insights and AI-driven predictions of the final outcomes of their strategic decisions. And why is this important? Because they need to work with other lines of business. What are the processes HR, I'm sorry, finance is doing going to affect HR and sales and manufacturing? What's the ripple effect? Or what is the effect on other parts of the business? Because the CFO and the finance team need to be the stewards of the business and help and advise with good data. So we have Birgit Starmans again at SAP Birgit Wave. We are recording this and somebody will see the video eventually. We have two newcomers, Dan Cooper-Smith at Analysis Prime. Dan, wave hello. There he is. Beautiful background. And we have Brian Pruner at Delaware Consulting. Hello, Brian. And we're going to ask them for their take on our topic, automation and AI, helping mid-market CFOs guide and collaborate with the business. And yes, we're focusing on mid-market, but of course, everything we're talking about today works for every company of any size, any footprint, any maturity, anywhere in the world. So if you're not mid-market, don't shut us off. We're happy to have you here. Welcome again, Bonnie D. Graham in the house. Birgit, let's get this party started. I'd love for you to reintroduce yourself to our audience. Everybody knows who you are. So Birgit, I'm guessing in the world there might be 3.27 people who don't remember you. Shame <laughs> on them. So you talk to them and remind them, what's your role at SAP? And a little about your background, Birgit. How did you, as a female, as a woman, get into the finance field, which wasn't that popular for women years ago? I don't know how long you've been in it, but I think it's been a while. Birgit, welcome. Over 30 years. Thank you, Bonnie. <laughs> you, had, you had to say it. I wasn't going to. Go ahead. It's okay. I'm totally dating myself. I get it. 
So my name is Birgit Starmans. I'm with the Global Center of Excellence for Finance and Risk at SAP, and really focusing on some of the newer products that we have bringing to the market, interfacing with um, our internal folks to help enablement and also with our customers, and really focused a lot on thought leadership and looking at trends moving forward, which, which is especially relevant in this time of the pandemic. My background was nine years of consulting for FICO, and it was interesting that you bring up women in business because I started my first project in doing plant maintenance and the costing for it, and I was the only woman on the team. So it was crazy. And it, it, because of the controlling kind of tasks that I did and being out in the business, working on logistics and product costing, it was basically just me in a lot of these areas, which is very interesting. I joined SAP about uh, 22 plus years ago, and I've been through product marketing solution, marketing solution management, and I found my home here at the COE doing that leadership. Thank you very much. Thanks for the historical perspective, Birgit. On my Technology Revolution, the Future of Now show, I'm doing a show with women in STEM. They are engineers, they are scientists, mathematicians, and I'm doing it on what happened to creativity in women in STEM. And they all happen to be novelists and designers. And they have other, and I'm wondering, and there is a background in the relationship between science <coughs> and creativity. So we might have to get you on one of those shows someday soon because you know what that's all about. Thank you very much. And let's go to our second guest. We are welcoming Dan Coopersmith. Dan, you're new to Game Changers. We are so happy to have you. Would you please honor me with? your bio, a little bit what you do, and give us a little overview. What is Analysis Prime for those who don't know the name? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So my name is Dan Coopersmith. I'm Vice President of Sales and Customer Solutions for Analysis Prime. We are a boutique consulting firm that focuses on uh, planning and analytics solutions. Um, I've been in this space for over 20 years now, focusing on analytics, focusing on on doing different types of plannings with uh, solutions within the finance organization. So you talked about you know, that AI changing, I'm at the forefront of that. I'm, I'm helping customers automate their, their, their processes. Um, so uh, my background is in accounting. I was an accountant for a number of years. I like to say I was an, I was an internal auditor until they, they kicked me out uh, because I had a personality. So, <laughs> so uh, Dan, Dan, don't step on the line. When you have a funny line, let everybody appreciate that. That was a classic. Please continue. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I've been doing this for a, a lot of years now. Um, I started off as a consultant as well. I was an architect for a number of years before I moved into solution advisory. Uh, and now, uh, you know, I, Analysis Prime, we are the leader when it comes to SAP's analytics cloud solution. Um, that's what we do. We primarily focus on that. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit about who we are and what we do. Thank you very much. Pleased to have you on. Great insights. And let's talk to Brian Pruner, our other guest. Brian is a newcomer, Delaware Consulting. We'd like to know who you are. What's your passion for the topic, Brian? And what does Delaware Consulting do? Go ahead. Sure, you bet. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, so Brian Pruner, uh, as Bonnie mentioned, with Delaware Consulting, uh, we are an SAP exclusive uh, focused uh, systems integrator, global footprint. My role is I, I look after our business for mid-market in North America. I've, um, uh, I've been in uh, enterprise technology for just a year less than Bridget. So I'm, I'm coming up on 30 years, but uh, currently in my 29th year working with Ooh. enterprise technology. Uh, started off in, uh, as a developer, spent some time in consulting, um, in marketing, as, and then sales. So uh, throughout that time, I've been exclusively focused, just 
luck of the draw, I guess, on mid-market companies. And so that's really my passion is, is applying technology-based business solutions to mid-market companies. And so happy to be here. Thank you very much. Brian, I have to tell you, you have a phenomenal voice for radio. Have you done any radio <laughs> before this? I've heard I have a great face for radio, but. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. That ship sailed a long time ago. People used to say that. No, you have yeah. a, a very resonant voice for radio. I was just remarking to Beard. Yes, yes, yes. So now is the, the part of the show, the segment of the show, where I've asked my guests to send me a quote from a movie or TV character or a song lyric that has absolutely zero to do with our topic. It would be hard to find song lyrics about automation and AI, I think, although there might be some angry British lyrics somewhere about that. However, However, we're looking for more interesting and provocative and maybe humorous quotes, and they've all done that part of the work for the show. So Birgit has sent us a quote from Scuttle, voiced by Buddy Hackett. Boy, did he have a voice, yeah, think. From The Little Mermaid, a 1989 Disney animated film, Scuttle, nicknamed Scully, is an eccentric seagull and friend of Ariel, voiced by Buddy Hackett. He presents himself as an expert on human topics. Very interesting. I won't go into the rest of the plot. Here's the quote. Have I ever been wrong? I mean... When it's important, period. I think we need to use this quote for a lot of shows. So go ahead. Where did you find this one? Talk to me. Uh, I, I, as an ex-redhead, I love The Little Mermaid. But uh, I, I take this quote because I, I, I was thinking, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And then we have these pieces of information, and then we might not be able to put things together correctly, but we're always pushed to come up with some kind of a recommendation or some kind of a result or some kind of analysis. And if we're missing holes of information, sometimes we may actually make the wrong prediction. So, yeah, when it's important, but it's always important because if you have this piecemeal information that might be outdated because you're halfway through the next month and you haven't closed the books yet, for example, how do you make the correct recommendation to the rest of the business if you're in finance to say, well, I think we should go this way because you don't even know what the current status is. And that puts the organization at risk. So it's always important, but sometimes we really don't know what we don't know. And with artificial intelligence and with automation, we can now find those pieces so that we don't have to, as Scuttle says, well, this is a comb, it's a dingle hopper. They don't know what it is. They're trying to make a best guess but the best guess isn't always good enough. We really need to go back to the data in order to really make those recommendations solid. You're absolutely right. And I have the uh, actually have the scene from that quote. Uh, Scuttle says, Ariel, I was flying. I was, of course I was flying. And I saw the watch. The witch was watching the mirror and she was singing with a stolen set of pipes. Do you hear what I'm telling you? The prince is marrying the sea witch in disguise. And Sebastian says, are you sure about this? And Scully says, have I ever been wrong? I mean, when it's important. That was the setup. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And he calls a fork a dingle hopper and a smoking pipe is a snarf blat. <laughs> oh my, love the, we could do a whole show about that. Thank you, Birgit, really appreciate it. Never had that quote on the show and it rocks. So Dan Coopersmith has sent us a quote from, here we go. Jack Nicholson played the Irish mob boss, Frank Costello in The Departed, a 2006 American crime thriller that takes place in Boston. Frank Costello plants Colin Sullivan, played by Matt Damon, also a wonderful actor, as a mole in the Massachusetts State Police. Simultaneously, the police assign undercover 
undercover state trooper Billy Costigan, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. What a cast! To infiltrate Costello's crew, when both sides realize the situation, they attempt to discover the other's identity before they're found out. Wow. And here is the quote from Frank Costello, played by Jack Nicholson. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Oh, Dan, that's heavy. Talk to me. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Yeah, so so that really is, is about being a game changer, uh, the name of the, the show, and then also um, about being you know a disruptor within the, the marketplace. And you know everybody is talking about how they're being impacted by external forces within uh, the marketplace. Um, AI, machine learning, and so on. Uh, this says, you know what? I don't want other people to affect where I'm going to go or what my decision processes are. I want my environment, my my market segment, my mid-market, if I'm a mid-market uh, player, I want them to be affected by me. So it, it's really taking, taking a lead, being a game changer, and, and not being uh, you know, held to account by somebody else and, and really just owning it is a good way to put it. Having the data and owning it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Dan. And let's go to Brian Pruner. Brian has sent us a quote from another iconic actor, Al Pacino, plays coach Tony D'Amato. It's the inches speech in Any Given Sunday, a 1999 American sports drama film based on the 1984 novel of the same name by NFL defensive end Pat Toomey. And I watched the scene, Brian. Thank you for sending the clip. And it is very moving. Anybody who hasn't seen it, go look for the Inches, I-N-C-H-E-S speech by Tony D'Amato, Al Pacino. Here's the quote. The Inches we need are everywhere around us. Brian, talk to us. How'd you pick it for our topic today? Yeah, I think I think it actually ties very well into what, what Burgett had said, right? The, um, the reality is mid-market companies um, don't really need to be swinging for the bleachers all the time, right? To have a strategic advantage in the market for a mid-market company is often uh, by identifying the easy differentiators, the things that you can implement quickly, data hygiene, data quality, using um, data that you're already collecting with a technology that's able to, to gather it and and synthesize it and present it to you and enable you to make business decisions quickly might seem like a very simple thing, right? But it's uh, it's a matter of taking advantage of that, identifying the short little gains that you can make that can be a strategic advantage for you. And I think um, I think oftentimes in enterprise software, we miss that. I think uh, a lot of customers that that I talk to often miss that because they're um, you know, to use a 25 plus year old analogy, right? They're trying to boil the ocean. And oftentimes, uh, little short gains can really result in a major strategic advantage in the market. And that's especially true with mid-market companies. Thank you very much, Brian and Dan and Birgit. Great quotes, new quotes to me. I haven't heard those. And I've done many, 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 many hundreds of people sending me quotes on my shows. I've had quotes and those are new and I appreciate it. What I'd like to do now, before we get to the discussion statements and the round table where I'm going to start with one of Birgit's statements and then we're going to have her expand it, unpack it for three minutes and I will ask Dan to agree or disagree and then Brian, agree or disagree with both Birgit and Dan. I want to ask you all three, I'll start with Birgit, to level set. We're talking about mid-market. Market. Who, what, where is mid-market? Is it, it, what level is it based on revenue? Is it based on number of employees? Wh- what are we talking? Whom, to whom are we talking today? Birgit, give us a quick definition of, of who we're addressing with the topic today, please. Go ahead. 
Yeah, mid-market is one of those, I think, fluid concepts, because I, I would agree that a lot of times we do talk about revenue, but then you get really small companies that can make huge amounts of revenue, right? So um, it's a combination of really revenue and number of employees. And I'm not going to start throwing numbers out there because I would say everybody's going to have a slightly different definition. I would say even in SAP, sometimes we define it slightly differently. But yeah, there's there's a most of the companies that we that we deal with actually are probably mid-market. They're not necessarily those global conglomerates that are worldwide in every single store that you go to, if you think about consumer products. And it's also not really the local mom and pop shop. But I would say almost everything in the middle qualifies as mid-market because yeah, they're going to be large enough where they have various departments of finance and HR and sales and manufacturing, et cetera. But they're not going to be so large. They're typically going to be more limited in geography as well. And they might be international, but it's not so much global, but maybe the, the bordering um, countries. So in Europe, if you're there, it might not be all of Europe, but it might be the bordering company, companies. It might be in the US, it might also be Canada, but not necessarily Europe or, or Asia. So I know that's a very squishy definition, but I don't want to start throwing numbers out there because I think all three of us are going to have different numbers to, to throw at Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate the nuanced answer you gave, Birgit. It was the right answer, which is, yes, it, it's something to to deal with. Dan Cooper-Smith, anything you want to add to what Birgit said? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, with mid-market companies, it's exactly that. Um, it's, a, it's a wide range. Everybody wants to go from small to mid to large, but uh, there's a lot of companies that are in that mid-market. So, so I think there's a, a lot of focus on the mid-market uh, industry right now. Thank you. And Brian Pruner, what do you think? Yeah, I agree completely. It's, it's one of the most complex uh, business segments to identify with, uh, with numbers, either revenue or employee size. And I think part of that is because the opportunity for growth within what most companies define as mid-market is so uh, pervasive that you often see companies grow very quickly from, you know, the very low end of what we would consider mid-market to uh, uh, the very high end of what we would consider mid-market pretty rapidly. Right. So, but yeah, it's very complex and, and uh, difficult to quantify what it is. So, Thank you all. We weren't planning on that, but I realized we needed to level set, even though we didn't level anywhere. We just gave a very broad, as, as Birgit said, a squishy definition. And, and that's fine because we needed to tell who, to whom we're speaking today. And that's important. So thank you very much. Let's get to our conversation starters. I've asked my three panelists in advance to each send me four statements that are interesting to them about the topic today. I'm going to pick one from each of you. And we'll go around the table. So Birgit, I've selected your statement number one, which I put into the chat for you. I never want to lose a panelist. What? She picked number one. Where is it? Don't worry. I'll send it to you. And I'm going to read a little bit because it's long, which we appreciate, Birgit. Ask you to unpack it for about three minutes. And then Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot, agree or disagree with Birgit, as I said before. And Brian, I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with either or both of them. So you've got your work cut out for you. And it's okay to disagree. You're all very nice people and nobody will get upset. But we love provocative insightful comments that get us thinking rather than yes, yes, yes. So keep that in mind. Birgit, here's a statement. Automation and AI are comprised of many different types of technology. So there is no one size fits all in quotes in terms of one AI solution. I'm going to stop there because that is a packed statement. Birgit, talk to us. Sure. I think we want to make sure that we're not the hammer in search of a nail. 
Um, because really, when we say auto, um, artificial intelligence, AI, what does that really mean? It's kind of like saying, well, we have something automated. Well, what does that mean? It could be anything. So automation could be anything from a spreadsheet to some more complex um, robotics process automation. Uh, same thing with AI. We have a lot of different technologies that are out there that are all really classified as, as artificial intelligence. And if you're going through a business process, you're not going to say, oh, well, we have machine learning and it's going to be used in every step of this process because that's not how it works. But if you think about things like machine learning, where the system actually learns based on previous transactions, history, and also what a person does if an ex exception comes up, and that gets put in as part of the algorithm so that the machine or the system or the application can figure out what to do next, next time we have an application, when we have that same kind of exception. But then RPA, a lot of times, robotics process automation is classified as artificial intelligence. We also have things such as conversational AI, things that are dealing with chat box, natural language. So there are a lot of different kinds of technologies. So let me just take one quick example. If you look at accounts receivable, we have automatic workflow that allows us to bring information in, for example, from bank statements. Then we have different kinds of robotic process automations that actually go through an optical character recognition if we have some unstructured data that puts the information in the right place. Well, at this point, we have rules-based automation that processes receivables. Then we have machine learning that deals with exceptions. So we take all of that knowledge. And then from there, we can go on and say, well, we can use machine learning and robotics process automation to maybe communicate back with a customer if there's a question. So it's not that one type of technology is there at every diff different step. Every different step can take advantage of one or more of these different types of automation. And that's what makes it so complex. So it's not AI equals one thing, AI equals a lot of different things. Thank you very much. Great conversation starter and good point for our listeners and our, our viewers. I say somebody will eventually see this video. Dan, join us, agree or disagree or add some nuance to what Birgit said, go ahead. I agree 100%. Um, what uh, Brigitte said. And, you know, one thing I've noticed in, out there in the industry is that the, the term AI uh, actually scares some people too, because they don't understand what that definition of AI really means or machine learning is or robotic, robotic automation is. If people are doing it in every aspect of their life, they just don't realize that they have AI. Um, you know, when you're looking on your phone and you Siri. That's AI. People don't realize that that it's there. So, so it's trying to expand on and, and talk about all the different ways that you have AI in just an everyday world it is very key uh, to understanding what it really is and, and, and explaining it to people. So I agree 100% with what was said. Thank you. Brian, talk to us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Birgit's right on the money. Um, you know, I think Actually, I think she did a great job of explaining the the relationship between all three of those, right? That can exist and how pervasive they are. That, but we still have a pro. I think we still have a challenge. To Dan's point, to um, put a wrapper around what that process is, right? I think there's a, a lot of websites um, that are out there. Some fund rocket launches like today, right? Um, that uh, interact with us in a way that is that's very predictable, right? There's a, there's a very significant AI, RPA, ML component to how we do business on Amazon, for instance, right? How Amazon knows, you know, has a good idea. It knows I'm looking for fishing and kayak stuff when I, when I get online, right? It knows that. And so that whole, the whole customer experience that you're creating 
not only for your customers, but for your employees and, and the importance of the quality of the information that's being provided and the experience that you're creating, all empowered by the elements that Birgit just spoke to. So agree completely. Thank you very much. Birgit, you had full agreement and they were so nice about it. I should have said that if they disagreed, mm-hmm. but Birgit, anything you want to add back to that? Really good point. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I want to grab on something that Dan said that there is a lot of times fear of AI. And I think we're probably going to get into this a little bit further down in the show too, but it's interesting how on a personal level, we are fine with it. We're on our smartphones. We use Siri. We have location devices turned on, et cetera. But somehow we're afraid of it when it comes to incorporating AI into business, even though there we can actually get a lot more bang for the buck in terms of making ourselves more efficient so that we have time, as you said in our introduction, to be more strategic um, as finance organizations. But it's interesting that that on a personal level, yeah, no problem. We'll talk to Siri. Well, I actually... I tell Siri to go away. Siri's upset. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, we're okay with it on a personal level. So I think we can we can take some of that comfort and take that into the business world. Obviously, we don't want to make sure everything is secure um, and make sure that we're we're still compliant with everything. But I think we can still leverage that and see how it can benefit us, not be afraid of it, and how it can really help us because ultimately it's not the machine that makes a decision, it's still the person. Absolutely. And I think that's an interesting point, Birgit, is a lot of people may not realize that AI, machine learning, RPA is behind the way we live today. It's behind our digital culture. It's behind the conveniences and the fun things that we do. They don't realize, oh, there's AI. What? AI? But when it comes to the workplace, it's is it going to take away my job? Will my job be done by a robot, a chatbot, a something, somewhere bot? And and the fear is if we bring it in, I won't have a job or I'll have to be reskilled, upskilled, retrained. Will the job still work for me? Will I still work for the job? So there's probably a combination of fear and excitement or excitement first for some people and fear first for most people. And that's still a big conundrum in society is where does the automation come in and what happens to the people? But you're right. And I like to say that AI, the algorithms in AI, a person probably wrote at least the original algorithm in a series of algorithms, right? A person. So then we get into biases, right? We get into biases of what was the person thinking, what were their preferences or their prejudices that led them to write that algorithm that the machine, anyway, it gets, it's a very complex, it's like a house of mirrors, but I'm going to be quiet now because this was a great topic. Thank you, Birgit. Let's go on. Dan Cooper-Smith, I'm looking at your statement number one, very important to the opening of the show. I talked about everything inevitably changed as a result of the global pandemic. And here's what you say. It has been shown during the last two years how critical the ability to pivot quickly Ah, using factual data is needed. There's no longer a need to spend days, if not weeks, building reports and analyzing the results when you can achieve the results in hours and use predictive analytics and scenario planning to make the best plan forward. I'm going to stop there. Dan, Take us into this, please. Unpack. Yeah. So, so within the last two years, with within the COVID world, um, organizations have learned that they need to be able to pivot very quickly. They need to be able to analyze the data, uh, turn that data into value, insights, and action. Um, and they they really need to understand where it's coming from. You know, up until two years ago, the the standard was you know month end close is going to be five to seven days. And, and then they would do a forecast of the remaining months of the year based off that month end close. COVID hit and all that's out the window. Uh, people have no idea what their their uh, forecasts are going to be. 
right? So they need to be able to get that data and pivot on that data very quickly. And that's where uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, predictive algorithms can really come into play. They can help the organizations consume that data and then turn that data into uh, insight and then ultimately action. Uh, we've seen uh, organizations that have had to change their whole business model here within the last two years, where in the past, you know, it might be a, a brick and mortar store where somebody comes and they buy a widget of something, they come to the store. Now, now they're e-commerce and they have to be able to ship their products out. Um, or it's a store pickup where if uh, somebody comes up to the curb, pulls up and you give them the, the product. How are they going to understand the impact of all that um, without having some kind of machine learning algorithms helping them uh, figure out what the, the precise business model that they should be using and really decrease that time uh, that people are using to understand the financial data? No longer can you wait five days. Everything is a race. And, and whatever you can do to win that race or to make yourself outpace your competition is key to, especially the mid-market, is how can I beat that person to the, to the finish line? And that's what AI machine learning is going to do. It's going to enable them to quickly pivot and outpace their competition. Thank you. Very, very appropriate and relevant because we looked at, look, let's look back a year, what, a year and change, a year and a half ago, look at companies that were manufacturing booze and the bars were closed and the restaurants were closing <laughs> and they moved that alcohol production into hand sanitizer, which was in a shortage. They pivoted. It might sound silly, but it was critical to our sanity, to our health, to, to being able to do whatever we needed to do at that very important time in history. And there were other companies that pivoted as well. So you're absolutely right. Dan, great point. Brian, you're right now sitting virtually right next to Dan, whether you know it or not. And I'm going to put you on the spot. Agree or disagree with Dan? And even if you agree, give us some other cases, please. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Um, I think, you know, the last year has really proven uh, the importance of being able to be nimble and responsive to the market, even when that means uh, doing things that are outside of your core skill set, right? So, um, like your example, right, with some of the uh, alcohol producers. Um, I've dealt with a couple of customers this year that were in the health and beauty industry and uh, uh, primarily on the commercial side, and they, they too were able to switch and, and uh, start manufacturing things um, to respond to the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, in addition to that, a couple of, uh, a, a customer who's in the printing business uh, the uh, primarily printed invitations and things like that. They switched and started making uh, uh, PPE for hospitals, um, wow. same printing facility. And so their ability to quickly evaluate the market, determine their capabilities as related to a new segment that they'd never been in, in a completely new industry um, was fully enabled by the things that Dan talked about, right? Their, their access to actionable data uh, yes. was critically important. And, and think, you know, go ahead, go ahead. You and, go. and I was just going to say, and on the flip side of that, unfortunately, I think we all have examples of companies who have really struggled over the last year who were just, you know, one step behind, right? Those inches are everywhere. Remember, yeah. uh, they were a step behind when COVID struck and their, um, you know, inability to be nimble, you know, frankly, hurt a lot of companies. So it's critically important. I agree completely with Dan's points. Thank you. And I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just so excited. I wanted to say that 
we, we talk about change management, right, Birgit, in the, the concept that finance used to be laggards, they were behind the times, they weren't embracing technology, and now many of them are, which is good and why we're here. Hopefully, the show has helped encourage the adoption of good technology over the years. But my point was that change management, you need to have leadership that says, ah, we've got the data, we can do it, we can afford to pivot, we can't afford to not pivot. Am I right, Brian and Dan? We can't afford not to pivot because the world has changed in a blink in 2020. And if we don't, we're gone. So there was a, a dire need to be able to do that pivot, but you needed the tools to give you the data, to give you the moxie to make the changes. I'm talking too much. Birgit, join us. Agree or disagree. <laughs> Go ahead. I completely agree. And I wanted to pick up on something that Brian said in terms of having the data to make the decisions. And actually, Dan mentioned this as well. Um, I used to talk about you know, things like real-time insight to, in a merger and acquisition scenario. Who do I acquire? I think right now it's more of a, well, how can I pivot kind of discussion? So we're not necessarily acquiring somebody, but we have to make a decision. What are we going to do? We have a pandemic. And not doing anything is also a choice. But then we can see with some of the insights and some of the predictive technologies, which are also part of AI, that if we do nothing, then our revenue is going to go way down because that market doesn't exist anymore. And then we can take a look and see, well, what is it going to take, as Brian said, to yeah, overhaul and start producing something completely different? And what are the financial implications of that? And I would say that mid-market sometimes has a benefit because they're a little bit smaller, that they're able to pivot more quickly. Um, because they have fewer resources, but those resources very often wear multiple hats and they don't have as many maybe facilities that they need to convert to do something else. So they might actually have an advantage as long as they have the data to figure out, well, which way do we want to go? Thank you very much. Any comments back? Dan? Yeah, I just agree with that. I, the mid-market, because they, they are smaller in size, they're not this big, huge uh, ship that needs to take a wild, wide turn they can actually pivot very quickly and, and change their business model if they need to. It goes back to that comment that I had about uh, not being a product of your environment and being a, letting the environment be a product of you. And that's what men markets can do because they can make that, that shift and that change very quickly. See how cool you're all bringing in the quotes we had at the beginning. See how mm. they're working, right? Brian brought in the inches quote. Dan brought in the environment quote. Birgit, we'll bring your quote in again. It's interesting how I ask you to think about a quote that has nothing to do with the topic. You explain it, and then it becomes part of the conversation. Thank you. Works well. Uh, let's see. Anyway, I think we're ready to move on. So, Brian, I put your statement number three, which I combine with your original number four in here, and this is interesting. Mid-market companies need to have the ability to be nimble. We've talked about that. But more important, you say cloud computing. Ah, let's go up to the cloud. Cloud computing has made AI and machine language ML technologies far more consumable by companies of all sizes, but especially to mid-market companies. That's where I want to go. So, Brian, I'm putting you on speaker view. Let's talk. You bet. Yeah, so I think one of the things that that gets lost, right, when we talk about cloud computing, right, the, I, you know, the 30-plus the year or the almost 30 years, sorry, Barry, you still have me there, the almost 30 years in the industry, right, that, that we come up with new buzzwords every four or five years, right, that are kind of the thing, right? And, and um, so, you know, cloud computing, I think, you know, most folks have their arms around what cloud computing is these days. But I think some of the things that are missed are not really obvious in a cloud uh, 
solution, enterprise cloud ERP solution, is the technologies that the software vendors, specifically SAP in this case, are, are embedding in the cloud-based solution that's coming out. And so to uh, Birgit's initial point, right, early on, when we talk about uh, AI being uh, part of workflow and machine learning and RPA uh, all, uh, you know, having different roles in the process, right, uh, from chatbots and, and um, uh, collect, being able to collect data from devices and those types of things, that, that in most cases, that technology is already embedded in the cloud, right? It's, it's already uh, available in the cloud to customers who are, uh, who are moving from an on-prem legacy ERP to a cloud-based enterprise ERP platform you're you're finding we're finding that they have the ability that it's enabling a new um, functionality set that customers just are not used to or haven't been used to previously and so it makes um, you know the shift from cloud com from on-prem to cloud computing makes AI a lot more consumable and available to um, users without them having to go through a steep learning curve because it's just embedded components of the solution and what we really are finding when we're talking to customers about this today is that it is enabling that need to be nimble, right? It's, um, you know, we're taking process. I, I love one of the things that Birgit said early on is, you know, a, a closed process that may have taken 30 or 40 independent steps previously in an on-prem solution in many cases has been consolidated down to five or six steps through AI uh, with cloud-based technology that really streamlines the process, eliminates errors, provides more actionable data uh, very, very quickly to um, various departments, right, in an organization. And that's all been facilitated and enabled by AI, machine learning, and in some cases, RPA. But, um, you know, it's, those are pervasive components of cloud computing today that I think is such a game changer, can be such a game changer for mid-market companies. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Birgit, you are virtually next to Brian. Talk to us, agree or disagree. I agree with Brian because a lot of times when there's new technology or new, new anything, um, but in this case, a new AI technology, new automation technology, there is quite a steep learning curve that everyone needs to go through in order to figure out how to make it work. And then, of course, if you look at the historic um, on-premise, we've got you know, a test system, a sandbox system, a development system, a live system, et cetera. But when you're in the cloud, you don't need to become that data scientist, but you can really focus more on the more functional aspect. So that way, I don't have to worry about uh, exactly how does this algorithm work and do I need to do anything and change it and code it? Well, because it's already there, because it's already embedded, I can figure out from a more end user or financial team standpoint, what is it going to do for me? What is the input that it needs? Because that way I don't need to figure out you know, that very heavy duty data scientist worldview. But yeah, me as a finance team member, I need to get something done. And this is going to help me do it. And hopefully that will also alleviate some of the fears because, again, it can do it. And if it's transactional, yeah, I can clear an open item. 
Do I want the system to, to post that automatically? Well, yeah, maybe I do. But there are other things, especially when it comes to more strategic evaluation, we have all the information in the cloud. So it's all in one place that going back to the single source of the truth, we have, have all the information that we need to make a decision. And it's really the technology that allows finance teams to help make that decision. It's still the human that makes a decision. But by going into the cloud, it's really making that that um, those capabilities available more quickly because in cloud, more new features come out on a regular basis as opposed to having to go through a whole upgrade on an on-premise, which takes a lot longer. So cloud really allows finance, and Bonnie said earlier, finance has been laggards in the, fast, in the past, but with cloud now, finance can actually be on the forefront of taking advantage of new technology to help them do their work. Thank you very much. Dan, you're up. Yeah. Agree or disagree? Yeah. Go ahead. Well, Brian, you said something very uh, key. It, it enables these mid-market companies to, to, in my opinion, level the playing field with some of these large enterprises with cloud computing. No longer does, does a mid-market company have, or typically mid-market companies don't have the same infrastructure from an IT point of view, where they have these large IT departments that can support an on-premise solution and then keep the, the on-premise solutions upgraded and on the, the most recent release and current version. All that stuff, mid-markets aren't going to have that that same IT staff size, where it is with cloud computing, it's enabling them to play at that same level as the large enterprise. So enabling them to, to uh, leverage these AI tools, these data scientist tools, these predictive tools that normally they wouldn't be able to if it was still in the on-premise world. And, you know, the, the four to five years, we have all these new terms that come out. You know, cloud came out, what was it, like seven, eight years ago. Before that, it was hosted environments. Before that, it was on-prem. So I'm waiting for the next one, you know, is it going to be, you know, cloud 2X or something like that, the, the new cloud uh, that's going to be the new term that's coming. So, but it really is enabling the markets to, to really change that environment. Cloud 2X, you heard it here first. Are we going to trademark that, copyright it? <laughs> Dan Cooper-Smith, you want to own that analysis prime? What do you think? <laughs> sure, we'll take sure. it. Sure, okay, there you go. You heard it first here. Uh, Brian, anything you want to say back to your co-panelists? Uh, no, I think I think great points. Uh, I am going to go buy the domain Cloud 2X real quick, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go Daddy, here he comes. Okay, mm. yeah, it wasn't Go Daddy at you. Yes, okay, thank you very much. Birgit, mm. I want to go back to your statement number four, and, and this will tie up something I said in my monologue that I think is important. You talk about these technologies <laughs> enable the finance teams to work with their counterparts at other lines of business to determine corporate strategy. The results are measured as soft benefits, such as one view of the truth, organizational alignment, self-service, collaboration between and among business units. And I know in one of your other statements, you said to me, trust. Do they trust the technology? Do they trust what the data is? So let's talk about this collaboration first. And if we have time, we'll talk about trust. Birgit, you're up. Well, I think it's key. And, and, and with my background, yeah, if you start in something like controlling, it's really where everything comes together. Everyone always said that I came to it in a weird way, not from the GL or finance. I came to it from logistics, you know, plant maintenance, project management, et cetera. But that way you get more of a view of logistics. And I really do feel like finance is where it comes together. Because even if you're talking about, oh, sales is talking about customers. Well, yeah, we eventually build them. So it comes back to finance. Oh, we need to do manufacturing. We have suppliers. Yep, all that comes back into the spend that we have. So basically finance really is that linchpin and where everything comes together. And I would say 
in the past, we've had very disjointed information in multiple places. So how do you put a, a number value on one source of the truth? Because historically, we had hard benefits, number of days to close the books, um, the, the cost of finance, um, the number of errors, how many transactions are we processing? And I would say with AI and automation, we, that can go through the roof. We can process a lot of things with a lot fewer errors. But how do you put a value on being able to collaborate? Because then you can make better decisions because in terms of finance, you have more of an understanding what's going on in the different lines of business so that we don't have to have a general ledger report here. And then we have to go somewhere else to look at the customer and somewhere else to look at the product and somewhere else to look at the manufacturing facility. If we have all this information in one place, then we can really make some intelligent evaluations and decisions. And that goes into some things like what if analysis, what are my business drivers? Is it the geography? Is it the customer? Is it the product? Is it the channel, et cetera? But by having all that information in one place, it's very difficult to put a numeric value on it other than we can pivot on a dime, we can make better decisions and we know what the financial implications are going to be of those decisions because we have that all that information in place and because we're collaborating and we're finding information, not just in a general ledger account, but with all those different logistics processes that go around it. And that'll also include HR. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Dan, what do you think? Agree or disagree? I agree. You know, breaking down the silos of the businesses, you know, you, mm-hmm. you have the sales, you have the marketing, you have IT, you have uh, logistics, you have uh, supply chain. Breaking down those silos, and I like to, to say extending the financial planning and analytics functions out to the silos and bringing them in together so that they're partners with the finance team or making you know, finance teams partner with uh, the lines of business is key to, to growing those mid-market organizations. Um, once you start breaking down the silos and get crossing over those white spaces and have that continuous analytic financial reporting process across them all is, is when you're going to really become a world-class organization and, and take your, your revenue and your business, ultimately revenue, to the next level uh, is by doing that. And by breaking down the silos, you can start using that AI, that predictive, that uh, the machine learning across all those organizations or those lines of business and, and really uh, stretch the, the, the numbers, really push them uh, higher. Thank you very much. All good. Brian, talk to us. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's, it's so important for enterprises to be able to trust their data. And one of the things that we're seeing a lot of customers um, work toward enabling right now is, is really understanding what good business looks like for them. Right. And the need and the, the ability to do that really depends on the things that Dan just said, right. It's gotta be cross silo. It's got, you know, you've got to understand your cost of sales to understand uh, or your cost of, you know, your, your cogs to understand what you can sell things for, to understand what, you know, what uh, a specific deal looks like, right, to you from a sales standpoint, customer value to you. And that really flows across every single department, right, to, to, to be able to uh, facilitate that understanding. And so I think it's, it's critically important and it's, um, and it's something that really enables every line of business to have a, have a stake in, right, the financial viability and performance of the company and, and, uh, you know, helps, I think, folks make stronger, more informed uh, decisions faster, frankly, right? 
Stronger, so. more informed, faster. You got all the elements in there that we're talking about today. Birgit, anything you want to say back to them? Because I'm going to squeeze in one more quick topic with Dan. But Birgit, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that, that we want to talk about is um, really leveraging AI also to uncover trends that we might not have seen before. Because now we've seen that yeah, we're incorporating not just general ledger information, but also all of these other functional areas. And sometimes um, there might be some trends that we didn't see previously, maybe because they're in a different business unit, right? Or it's something that um, yeah, is a little bit of an anomaly. For example, when it comes to fraud, everybody's talking about cybersecurity. Or you know, when it comes to liquidity planning, you know, maybe there's something that's going on in a partic particular geography that we hadn't anticipated. But being able to pull all that information together, going back to the quote, have I ever been wrong? We can't afford to be wrong. Mm -hmm. So we all we need to know what we don't know. And it's really that automation AI that allows it, us to really leverage that without having to look at manually every single piece of data, but allowing it to figure out what some of the trends are. If I'm just looking at my one business unit, I'm not seeing what's going on in another business unit. Maybe I'm seeing a trend here that I wasn't able to uncover in the past. So that's an important element also. Thank you very much. I want to cover one more topic here. Dan, in your statement number four, we've been talking about breaking down the silo, sharing the value of the data and the insights and the AI-driven important, the factual facts, right? Being able to pivot, be nimble. And you say enterprise-wide decision-making can be done by equipping everyone in your organization. And here's what I want you to tell me what it means, Dan, yeah. whether trained or untrained, technical or non-technical, equipping them through machine-generated analytics and insights without requiring them to look at it. Dan, what does this mean? It sounds exciting and scary at the same time. Talk to us. It, it is exciting and scary all at the same time. And what it is, is it goes back to that decision-making process and the data process and having insights and action. And what we need to do is we need to enable everybody within the organization, from a CFO to a frontline worker, to be able to make decisions. Now, there's going to be a broad spectrum of who can make that decision or their technical ability or their, their ability to be trained or untrained within the system. And this is where machine learning, artificial intelligence, predictive can all come into play because it can break down some of those barriers where, uh, you know, uh, a user may not understand what the data is showing them, but our artificial intelligence can pick that up and fill in that gap for that untrained person or that untechnical person um, so that they can understand where those the, the data is going to go. It has to be self-service. It has to be easy to use. It has to be intuitive so that that, that untrained person, that whoever that is within your organization, from the CFO to the, the frontline person, that they understand what they need to do from a point click, from an AI, from a machine learning. They have to understand that and we have to make it as simple as possible for them. And, and that's really what this statement is all about is enterprise-wide decisions as simple as possible for anybody within the organization. Thank you. That's an interesting point because I talked earlier about the fear of technology. Is it going to take away my job? And you're saying if if the management, the change management, the corporate culture is, let's make it as easy as possible for people so they don't fear their job being taken, but they can do their job better. Yes. Isn't that 
Isn't that the goal? Let's quickly go around the table. We've got about three minutes and I, you know what? Let's not go around the table. I want to go to the predictions, the crystal ball predictions. <laughs> so I know you didn't think about this. We didn't prepare this. You didn't send it to me in advance. And I hope you didn't tell Birga because she's going to tell everybody. It has to be a secret. So I'm going to give you a couple rules for the predictions. I'll start with Birga. You get one minute. That's, you can fit in one sentence. No, I can give you actually 45 seconds. One sentence, you get one comma, one semicolon, one exclamation point, one long dash and one period at the end. No politics. It can be about sports if you want, or about the Blue Origin Shepherd that went into space today, or it could be on the topic. So we got 45 seconds each. Birgit, lightning round predictions, go. I think we're going to see more of a willingness of, especially the mid-market, to continue to pivot. Now we've seen that it, we were able to do it, but I think now we've got the benefit of being able to do change management the way it's supposed to be done, as opposed to in the past, oh, we have to all be locked down. That's it. No notice, right? And we we found that we were able to do things that we did not think were possible. But I think now, I think it's opened the eyes to a lot of companies that they can continue to, to pivot and continue to invest in other types of products or services. And services have really gotten to be huge in combination with products. So I think we're going to see more willingness to do that going forward. Thank you. That was 14 semicolons, three long dashes and, <laughs> and two commas. And I loved it. You did it very well. Dan, you still get the same one sentence, 45 seconds. Go. Well, I'm going to incorporate a couple of different things. Um, I live up here in Minnesota, so the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl. That's the, the crystal ball. Um, I do think that the uh, mid-market is going to continue to be nimble and, and dynamic and change. And you're going to see uh, a lot of organizations that will go even more remote, even more uh, to an online presence uh, than they already are. With COVID really just accelerated the process. We were going to be at this point 10 years from now. I think that's just going to exponentially accelerate now that uh, COVID has come. You're invited back in 2031, okay? <laughs> 10 years. We'll hold you to that one. Brian Pruder, yeah. you get the last word. 45 seconds. Go. Yeah, I think following on to Dan's point, I think COVID has accelerated uh, transformation specifically within the mid-market. I think the next five years are going to be uh, a, a period of remarkable transformation within that space as companies uh, understand how to better leverage available technology that a year and a half ago seemed unreachable. So I, the next five years are going to be very interesting. So have me back in five years and we'll see. You're invited back in 2026. And if Dan wants to join you, he can. Birgit, you're going to be there with us as well. I want to thank all three of you. Really appreciated Birgit, Birgit's stellar job picking a great topic and inviting these two gentlemen who are so smart and you're so nimble and flexible. I'm sure you haven't done a show in this type of format before. you got to really be on your game. And I appreciate all of you following the lead and just coming up with really, really interesting insights. The audience appreciates it as well. Shout out to... Birgit Starmans, Chris Grundy, and Pras Chatterjee at SAP, who have sponsored the show for 10 years. Birgit, our longest running and one of our globally most popular Game changer shows. And I am grateful to all of you for allowing me to host and produce. But you've taught me so much over the years about finance. I never thought I could understand any of it. And you've broken it down into really understandable terms for everybody in the audience. So I appreciate that. Thank you also, especially to Dan Cooper-Smith and Analysis Prime. We appreciate you, Brian. 
Brian Pruner at Delaware Consulting. We appreciate you. And thank you to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at Voice America World Talk Radio. And here's my closing. I got about 10 seconds. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting a month to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Birgit, just like Dan, just like Brian. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Everybody wave. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.